Welcome to the Infill Podcast, where we interview the most interesting members of the 3D printing and maker communities live and with audience participation. And now, here is your host, Jonathan Levy. Hello, hello, everyone. Let me just make sure I got the right microphone. There we go. As you come in, make sure you let me know how the audio quality is. I'm really excited about today's episode because uh, I discovered today's guest recently on YouTube and my first impression with the first video was, whoa, which is always an exciting uh, exciting first impression. His name is Taylor Sweet. He runs uh, 3D printing services and consulting business, but as of recently, also a YouTube channel. You've probably seen his videos because he has the single most organized and beautiful print farm background with a line of Prusas and a line of bamboo printers. And I'm not going to lie, I'm super jealous of how neat and tidy your workspace is. Taylor, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. No, you're one of the few people I know who has the Prusa XL with the tool changer. But even more than that, I think you're one of the few people I know who has the Prusa XL with the tool changer and a ton of experience with other printers, including Bamboo Lab and Multimaterial. So I'd love to get into that. But first, this show is all about the people and getting to know humans. And so I want to hear your story. You're a young guy running a relatively, it looks like, a booming 3D printing business. Tell me your kind of origin story. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, booming is all relative. <laughs> I, I keep myself busy and um, I have fun doing it. And, uh, you know, I work for myself and I work from home and get to hang out with my wife and kids during the day. And, uh, you know, 3D print 365. Um, pretty much, which is a blessing and a curse, you know. Yeah. Um, You've managed it, but, to keep uh, the you know, printers off for this episode, though, so I'm honored. The ones behind you, at least. Yeah, you, you know what? Every time I record, I need to like shut down the whole operation, and I wow. need to plan around the recording because the audio, as you can imagine, the audio gets pretty right. bad when uh, you have you know 20 printers running in a small space. Yeah, but, I can make uh, some microphone recommendations that help that. But yeah, it's never going to be the same as just turning everything off. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so yeah, they're not props. Start? They actually do run. Yeah. So yeah, how did I get started? Great question. Um, so back in 2017, I was in my fourth year of university. Uh, I have an engineering background. Um, engineering physics was my discipline. Um, but I did a kind of a minor in mechanical engineering. And in my fourth year, we had a design project. We could basically come up with whatever we wanted to do. And then we could prototype it and, you know, using whatever means necessary. Mm -hmm. um, so my group came up with the idea of doing a Braille reader, cool. basically like a, a obstacle character recognition, uh, you know, written text to tactile output, mm -hmm. um, which is kind of the concept, right? So it's kind of like a, um, you know, a noble cause in a way, like being able to transcribe something that isn't in Braille for those, you know, that are blind or, you know, hard of seeing. Um, so basically being able to make, you know, media more accessible. So, you know, books at a library, for instance, not everything is translated to, uh, you know, Braille for the people that need that tactile uh, feedback and they can't use the visual feedback. Um, right. So that was kind of the concept. And the design that we came up with, you know, being engineers, obviously we used, you know, CAD software and we prototyped this thing using 3D printing. Yeah. So um, at my university, they had like a maker space and they had uh, you know, some 3D printers in the lab. 
and we were able to send our files off to them and just request that they be printed. Um, and that, that was kind of all of our, our involvement in the actual manufacturing of it was like, hey, here are our designs, do it for us. We know nothing, you know, mm -hmm. we trust your judgment. Essentially. Um, and now I'm, I'm on the other side of that now. And, you know, I have people sending me things and I need to use my judgment of, you know, what layer heights to use and what material right. to use and so on and so forth. Um, but at that point, we sent it off and, you know, we got our parts back and the machine that they were running was like an old Stratasys, um, you know, yeah. printer behemoth machine probably cost half a million dollars. Um, yeah. And yeah, but the parts looked really good. They had some some interesting uh, characteristics to them. Now that I look back on it, and I actually I found that prototype in a you know box when I was cleaning up my house recently, and I just took a closer look at it. I was like, oh, you know, look at the uh, extrusion width on that, and uh, oh, there's a little bit of rigging on that print. You know, things that as a uh, un uneducated individual I had no clue about, right? But now I look at these things all day, so uh, I had a better appreciation looking back on this thing than I did back then. But Anyways, we got our, our prototype back and it was in all sorts of tiny little pieces. And, and that was really the amazing thing about, about this prototype was it was at a very small scale. Um, we kind of went to the, at the standard of the International Braille Association. Um, wow. So it was maybe like a centimeter by um, half a centimeter. And within that, there was six individual dots because that's what makes up a letter in Braille. Um, and we need to actuate each one of those individually. So basically like an on and off state for each individual yeah. component and there's six of those per letter and i think we were able to uh, do four or five letters at a time wow. on this braille reader um, so it was this very intricate small 3d printed box um, there was a servo motor that kind of uh, actuated like a rack and pinion system um, and then there was springs and like a selector mechanism and um, and then on the other side of it, which I wasn't involved in so much, was the software of um, using a Raspberry Pi camera and doing optical character recognition to actually wow. transcribe <laughs> from a book to uh, this 3D printed prototype that was then going to spell out some letters in Braille. Um, so anyways, cool. <laughs> yeah, so it was a, a pretty uh, lofty project for it's, it's my It's kind of like a Kindle, a, a yeah. real-time Kindle for the visually impaired. It, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, That's really cool. Wow. Yeah, so, so that was kind of my first exposure to 3D printing and, mm -hmm. um, you know, getting something from the computer into your hands for the first time and really feeling, you know, that you know, the tangible outlet or of your hard work, you know, right. um, not just keeping it digital, but actually physically holding it and then saying, oh, you know, now that I see it, it's a lot smaller in person than it is on the computer, right? And sure. um, all those sorts of things. So. I think the first time you hold something of your own design for the first time and it's come from the digital space into the physical realm, you know, yeah, it is. And I think that's why so many of us are so passionate about this, this hobby, right? I often have that uh, moment, you know, Steve Jobs talks about in this famous quote about like the bicycle for the mind. Maybe people don't know this, but he talks about like, you know, uh, there was a graphic in an old magazine about the efficiency of animals in movement and it was like you know cheetah dog human walking like way down here peregrine falcon very very efficient in movement and then it was like human with a bicycle way way more efficient than even a falcon right because you're using gears and da 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 and he goes the computer's the bicycle for the mind and i th i so often think about that when it comes to 3d printing it's like 
maybe not the bicycle, but it, it, there's a metaphor to be had there about just that being kind of the bicycle for the creativity. I don't know. Absolutely. Profound, but, yeah. but I need to think yeah. that idea more, but it's so true, right? Because it's just like, it's kind of like black magic. You know, you just like snap your fingers and this thing's in front of you. It's huge. Absolutely. So. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that the, the 3D printer is where the rubber hits the road. Um, and that's what yeah. kind of gives you that forward motion. And, you know, you actually, you know, you see the return in your, your investment of time uh, in the digital realm, and then you, you bring it over to the physical world. Um, yeah, that that's really a great metaphor. And um, as much as the bike enables, you know, people to go places that they couldn't otherwise go or go further, go longer, go faster, the 3D printer really enables the average person to do things that they couldn't otherwise do. Right. Um, and that's why it's such a revolutionary technology and it's so empowering. Um, it is really the democratization of manufacturing and, um, right. you know, the, the, the fact that anybody can get yeah. into it because, Absolutely. you know, prior to that manufacturing was quite inaccessible. Um, but, uh, at least manufacturing with that degree of finesse, because, you know, in, in theory, you know, nailing two boards together is a, a form of manufacturing, right. But, um, you know, 3d printing is at a whole nother level. Um, and it doesn't require any, you know, skills in, in the way of uh, some of those other methods of manufacturing and uh, but it you know obviously requires a different skill set uh, but it's the economic input that makes it so much more accessible right like sure. 3d printers these days are so economical um right but, yeah it, so you profound. do this project was it was it kind of love at first sight oh my god 3d printers did you immediately decide straight out of school or was there a journey to making this, I mean, cause this is your full-time thing. I think YouTube is newer for you, but you've been running. I mean, I guess we should establish what your business is, but first tell me the journey, the story. Absolutely. Yeah. So to be honest with you, I had to think back on what my first exposure to 3d printing was. And that's when it occurred to me, uh, that it was that project in fourth year university. So prior to this conversation, I didn't really make that connection. Hmm. Um, but I think that is the origin, if if I recall correctly. Perhaps there was some earlier exposure, um, but it wasn't it wasn't a eureka moment whatsoever. It wasn't like, hey, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, it was more so kind of an introduction, and it was like, hey, this is really cool. Right. Um, and then you know, the end of the year rolled around, and it was time to graduate and time to move on with my life and decide what I wanted to do. Um, and I had a really good time at university. You know, I did lots of extracurriculars and things like that, and I was you know, fearful of the real world and getting a real job and paying taxes and growing old and dying. Right. Um, so, you know, I wanted to avoid that for as long as possible. Um, so I, I started seeking out kind of master's degree programs. Um, and with the field of engineering I was in, it was an engineering science. So it was engineering physics, um, which isn't as employable, at, you know, right out of school. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of people do go on and do master's degrees, do PhDs. Um, some people go this, the pure physics route, other people go into a business degree, you know, other people just continue their engineering education, uh, which is what I ended up doing. Um, so I applied to a few schools just for master's degrees in mechanical engineering. Um, and I ended up finding a professor at the university of British Columbia in Canada, um, that operated a CAD cam lab. Mm -hmm. So his research group did computer assisted design and computer assisted manufacturing. Um, most of us are familiar with CAD, like Fusion 360, you know, all those sorts of things. CAM is, you know, on the other end of the, the spectrum where um, you actually simulate your, uh, your cut path for a multi-axis machine. Um, so his research group 
was generating the software for those simulations, essentially. Um, so even though it was a mechanical engineering research group, it was very software oriented. Um, but yeah, so that that's kind of what his his bread and butter was. And then as kind of a footnote in his, you know, on his um, his page there, he had 3D printing, like, oh, yeah, yeah 3D printing. Um, and I really kind of honed in on that. I was like, oh, here's a professor that's doing 3D printing research. Let's hook up with him and, you know, see if I can learn more about something that I thought was kind of cool. Um, so I reached out to him, you know, put in my application for his program and uh, got an offer to come out and study there. And so I was like, hey, you know what? Vancouver is a, a beautiful uh, city. You know, I'm from the east of Canada and uh, the west coast of Canada is very picturesque, very warm climate. Um, and it gave me an excuse to delay, you know, getting a real job for another at least two years. Um, <laughs> and as, as a researcher in Canada, you get paid like a stipend. Um, so you get like a very modest salary just to kind of help you live. Um, whereas, you know, in other parts of the world and, and other degrees, like if you did a, an MBA, for instance, you know, you're shelling out like a hundred K, uh, to get that degree, you're going further into debt Tell me about in this it. case. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, in this case, I got like a modest salary and I was getting more qualifications and I was delaying being an, an adult. Um, so it really had all the makings of a good opportunity. Um, so I did decide to, to take that and run with it. Um, and yeah, when I got there. I realized that when I said 3D printing was a footnote on this uh, this professor's DV, uh, it really was a footnote. Um, nobody in the lab was doing any sort of 3D printing research. They had oh. one 3D printer. They had a, an old Stratasys machine, and you know I think that was the basis for putting 3D printing on his uh, on his CV, just to say like, hey, we have a 3D printer, you know it is what it is. But meanwhile, all of the guys in the lab were like software developers, like doing, you know, uh, these multi-axis simulations. Um, so I get there and I was like, Hey, I want to do a 3d printing research project. And at that time I, I didn't really know how academia worked and, you know, doing a research based master's degree. Um, but as it turns out, you spend like the first half a year, just figuring out what problem you want to solve. Um, mm -hmm. and meanwhile, some professors have like a list of problems and you know research projects they've identified and they've curated for years and then they pair up a student with that particular research project and they're like hey i want you to figure out you know uh the friction force on a cutting tool as it's cutting through a block of aluminum and you're going to spend right. the next two years characterizing that doing the physics you know all of all of the math behind it write up a paper and publish it and you know that's kind of the the story arc of a traditional sounds master's awful. degree sounds yeah <laughs> terrible so, sorry that sounds terrible exactly. so uh, i got there and i was like yeah yeah so i got there and i was like hey um 3d printing is cool i see you have a 3d printer what can i what can i learn about it what can i contribute to the the knowledge of society using this machine um and he he had no knowledge of it really besides owning a 3d printer he didn't know much about it he didn't have a predefined research project so I spent the next six months just kind of researching, reading other research papers, um, trying to figure out what could I contribute in terms of knowledge to the 3D printing landscape. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point, I, I didn't own my own 3D printer. I'd never even operated a 3D printer. And here I was about to dedicate two years of my life to studying <laughs> this uh, this field of uh, research. Um, 
but uh yeah so i i kind of dove headfirst into that and read all the papers i could on you know different publications and after a little while i started to kind of hone in on a particular uh area of research that i felt was underdeveloped okay so my research project ended up being on um the overhang angle limitation in fused filament fabrication okay. um so in simple terms you know when do you need support material for your fdm 3d prints right Interesting. Um, so i've read all these research papers and you know there's a whole all sorts of papers trying to come up with different unique and novel 3d printing support structures right like we have crazy tree supports now and we have different algorithms for dictating where the support is placed and so on and so forth and when you go back to the origin of that research, they all make the assumption that 45 degrees is this universal standard for, right. you know, support enforcement. And then from that point forward, they, they do all sorts of crazy math and science to try to reduce the amount of support material required, but all based on this preconceived notion that 45 degrees is like the ultimate angle at which support is required. Um, so I basically decided, hey, like, why is it 45 degrees? Could it be 50? Could it be 60? Could it be 30? You know, like, and what factors dictate that maximum, you know, surface angle for support material generation? Um, and what did you find so, out? Yeah. yeah, that's that's a great question. So um, what I found out basically is it's, you know, when you deposit a molten polymer, it's in the liquid state, right? Um, it, it cools very quickly, but it there's a moment in time when it's not a solid and it's got some characteristics of a fluid. Right. Um, so when you think of droplet mechanics and you think of, you know, water, water has, you know, this characteristic called surface tension where it wants to adopt like the surface area minimizing shape. Um, so when you think of an extrusion bead on a 3D printer, um, you're basically forcing it into an unnatural shape, right? Like right. it's kind of a rectangle. It's, you know, you're, you have your extrusion width, which is one dimension, and then you have your layer height. Right. And... Um, so for a short period of time, that's a liquid, and it's going to want to recoil into a sphere, right? It doesn't want to stay a rectangle. So there's a period of time where it's still molten, and it's not going to stay a rectangle, especially when it's not you know, squished up against the bed, for instance, or up against the previous layer. Um, so you have this, this element of surface tension where you're going to have some contraction in the, the width of the bead. Um, so what I found out is that it's like a, a, a parameter... Uh, or it's a very, or it's derivative of the layer height and the extrusion width, uh, primarily. Okay. So, with thicker layers, you can't print as steep of overhangs without support. Whereas with thinner layers, you can be more ambitious um, in printing deeper angles. So, um, and I guess that was that's, con that's you know, controlling for cooling, right? Because if you have massive cooling, mm -hmm. you can obviously minimize the amount of time you're in the liquid state. But all things being equal, I had never thought about that, but it makes perfect sense. At yeah. point one layer heights, you could probably go way, way more aggressive. Exactly, and it and it comes down to like the yeah the the offset right the, the horizontal offset like how much you're overhanging from your previous layer, um, and your kind of step change in your positioning is right smaller with, with smaller heights. So um, that's very yeah, cool. A, so. So because I want to get to I want to get to the exciting stuff, which is the business that you're running, because I think so many people mm -hmm. are fascinated. In it. So you do this degree. Do you graduate and say, like, OK, I still don't want to be an adult. I'll be an entrepreneur, which is a totally different <laughs> ballgame. Essentially, yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's kind of been my 
my uh, philosophy all along is, you know, avoid the hard stuff as long as possible and um, sure. find, find things you enjoy because then they feel less difficult. And um, yeah, so I, I left, I left my degree and moved back home. And um, at that point, it was kind of just on the brink of the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, I, I should say, actually, and this is an important uh, point. Um, like I said, there was a Stratasys machine in our lab. And I wanted to determine the maximum angle of the surface, which was not requiring support. Uh, as it were, Stratasys machines do not allow you to disable support. Like, really? regardless. So literally, because it's such a closed source ecosystem. Wow. Um, I was trying to study like, hey, like, how steep can we go like without support material? And the slicer just wouldn't let you turn support material off. It was just like, like because they just think that they know better. <laughs> I, so I needed that. So um, at that point, I decided to buy a Prusa. Um, so I have, I, I name all my printers. That one's called the Professor. Um, but uh, yeah, so the Professor has uh, stayed with me and he's, he's still operating to this day. But that was my first 3D printer. Um, so I used it for my research. And then when I moved home, um, I had this 3D printer. I was out of school. I didn't have a job. Um, and I was like, you know, what can I, what can I do with this? How can I make some money with it? Um, and it was like right around Valentine's day. And, uh, you know, I needed a last minute gift for my, uh, then girlfriend. Um, and I found this really cool, like rose, uh, 3d model on Thingiverse. Um, it was like two part rose with a, a stem. I know. Um, I gave it to her. <laughs> yeah, it's a great model. Um, gave it to her. She really liked it. And I was like, Hey, like this is kind of a cool concept. Like would people buy this? Um, so we ended up uh, setting up a table on Valentine's Day at the university that I went to uh, in my hometown. Um, we sat up on Valentine's Day with a table of 3D printed roses. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, right, ne right next door to us was a table of real roses. So you you'd see people walk up and they'd like look left, they'd look right, and they'd, they'd make a life decision in that moment. You know, do we go with the, the technological solution that's going to, you know, last forever, <laughs> you right. know, or do we go with, you know, the modern uh, or, you know, the, the age old classic of, um, you know, real roses, which, you know, have a nice scent and whatever, but are going to last, you know, a couple of days before they, yeah. they wilt and die. Um, so it was kind of interesting in that moment um, to see. And I think a lot of people at that time, you know, 3D printing still had kind of an, a, an appeal to it, right? It was kind of new, it was technologically advanced. Um, so you could see people make that decision in their mind. And, um, we ended up selling out of our, our roses that day. Uh, so we did, did quite well. Um, and then going forward, I, you know, I just started to try to design some of my own things. Um, mm -hmm. and then the, the pandemic hit, um, and we basically shut down all of our production of normal stuff because it, you know, it felt silly making roses when, you know, people are getting sick and dying and the world yeah. is um, in a dire state. So, at that point, you know, we'd seen online or I'd seen online that people were doing, you know, face shields with 3D printers, things like that. Um, and, you know, the other thing that people were doing was these things called ear savers, uh, yeah. which basically, you know, you've probably seen them. everybody in 3D printing probably like printed more of these than they care to admit. Um, right. right. So just to, you know, take the mask off uh, your ears and put it on the back of your neck instead. So it's just a little piece of plastic, but a great application of 3D printing because it's totally fitting. A, it's filling a demand that is. Uh, transient, right? Like it's just, you know, not, there wasn't a whole lot of time for regular manufacturing to catch up um, and start producing these things. So um, 3D printing really was a stopgap solution. Um, totally. And 
yeah, I think in total, I ended up doing like over 10,000 um, of those. Um, yeah, That's so we wild. started doing those. And, um, part of what we were doing is we were, and, and this was probably too generous with my time, which I tend to be, but I was, you know, letting people customize them, right? Like, so they could, mm. you know, put, they could put the name of their city and that was kind of the format was, you know, Tel Aviv strong or, you know, Toronto strong or whatever it may be, right? Like kind of just a motivational message, um, but they could customize it. Um, and then I started offering color customization. Um, and at that point, I was familiar with a company called Mosaic Manufacturing, um, okay. which is the maker of the Palettes uh, line of products. Um, so I've probably heard of them, but it's like yeah. a, a multi-printer for filament um, that allows you to do multicolor on your 3D printer. Um, so I had this palette and I'd already, I'd wanted one for a long time, but I, I ordered one uh, and started doing these multicolor ear savers where the text was a different color than the base. Um, and it just really elevated it, right? Um, so at that point, I wanted the scale and I wanted to do more of them. Um, so I reached out to the CEO who was a um, graduate of the same university I went to. Um, I said like, hey, I want to order like a couple of these. Like, could you give me kind of a bulk discount if I order four or five? Um, and at that point, he's like, yeah. And he's, you know, I had that dialogue open. So I was like, hey, by the way, here's my resume. Like, you know, keep me in mind. Um, and then I was just, you know, kept operating, kept doing, you know, the face shield thing. Um, and then a few months later, he reached out and was like, hey, we have an opening. Like, do you want to, you know, talk? Do you want to you know, interview for a job here? Um, so I did that and I ended up getting a job there. Um, so I worked for them remotely. They're based in uh, Toronto. Um, I wasn't in Toronto at the time. So uh, I was working from home as most people were during COVID um, right. and developing their line of 3D printing materials. Um, so basically figuring out all of the different materials that they were going to offer, uh, where to source them, you know, and doing a lot of characterization of print parameters and building print profiles and stuff like that. Um, and this was all, this was all for their, uh, line of 3d printers, which were, they were developing at the time. Um, and these are, you know, enclosed machines that can print peak and PEC and Altum and all these high temperature materials, uh, in addition to PLA and, and ABS and all those things. Um, so that was my job as I was kind of supply chain management and print profile building, um, contacting all these vendors. I want to say, um, you're, you, as you spoke, I mean, it sounds like your business really like got its roots during COVID and you just gave me a flashback. Like at the beginning of COVID, I was uh, in personal development, specifically in accelerated learning courses, like learning and memory courses. And I remember writing emails to my audience and being like, every single uh, crisis, pandemic, depression, uh, like every crisis that humanity has ever faced all the like most successful businesses come out of them, right? So if you look back, like Microsoft came in the, like after the 1989 stock market crash and basically every business. And I remember writing to people and being like, look, you have a choice during COVID. You can like, you know, let your fitness slip and, and make all these excuses about how, you know, you can't finish your degree. And you could be one of those people who like, this is happening to them. Or you can be one of these people who this is happening for them. And, uh, and, and that's exactly what you did with this, right? Like you didn't take advantage of the pandemic or anything, but you decided to come out with the people and very much, it sounds like, I mean, obviously people died and the pandemic was horrible emotionally and 
and in many other ways, but you, your family, this happened for you in a, in a way that you provided value to other people and were able to get your business off the ground. So I want to commend you on that because it's not easy when the world is shutting down uh, to, to say, I mean, again, I don't want to make it sound like I want people to profiteer from a crisis, but it's not easy to say like, hey, this is a horrible situation. What is the opportunity to help others and also you know, as you said, like not grow up, but, but start a career. So I want to commend you on that because it's really cool. Um, I also got into 3d printing as a hobby during COVID. So like, it's fun to look back and be like, yeah, that there was a lot of opportunity then and there at that moment. So anyway, carry on. So, uh, you worked for pallet, but you're still growing your business during this time. It sounds like. Absolutely. Yep. So I was working remotely for mosaic. Um, and at that time I was kind of doing my own thing just on the side evenings and weekends. Um, and because of the efforts I had, you know, done for the community during the pandemic, um, it was all just, you know, pro bono helping yeah. people out. Like everything was free and you could just like ask for it and you'd get it. Um, yeah. but the, you know, the return to me was just like the word of mouth and like a fledgling business really ramped up quickly in terms of like exposure within like a, a relatively small community. Um, and then, you know, at the kind of the tail end of the pandemic, um, Mosaic was kind of recalling all their employees, like to hey, come back into the office. Like yeah. they're very much like a, uh, uh, human centric company. And like, they really like that, uh, in office work environment. Um, so I basically had the opportunity at that point to move to Toronto, um, wow. and, and work there or, stay where I was, which, you know, I'm in a small town and I, I like it. I'm not a big city kind of guy. Um, so at that point I had a decision of like, Hey, do I stay on with this company? Um, doing my dream job, like I'm working for a 3d printer manufacturer, right. And I'm seeing behind the scenes of the, the, the entire industry. Um, so it was quite rewarding and I, you know, I was using my education and all that. Um, but I wasn't willing to move and I had this entrepreneurial spirit and I wanted to, to do something. Um, and I had my business still kind of just, you know, uh, simmering in the background, right? Like it wasn't, I wasn't stoking the fire, but it was just kind of like had its own momentum and it was carrying along so, and I had all this word of mouth from my pandemic efforts. Um, so I decided, Hey, I'm just going to go full time. I'm going to, you know, leave this job and just focus on, um, my own you. business. That's amazing. Um, the big question yeah. I want to ask you is because I think, you know, I think Joel said it, like everyone who buys a 3d printer takes them a couple of days and they're like, okay, how can I make money with this? Like I have manufacturing in my house now. So I want to ask you how you get customers, what products you sell. I do quickly have to thank today's sponsor. <laughs> DJ is pro in the comments, PCB way. I'm like, yeah, you knew I was setting up a, uh, anytime I ask a really, really good question at the 30 minute mark, it means it's time to thank PCB way. They're wonderful humans. Let me see if I can, uh, pull this up correctly without making a mess. Hey, I did it. All right, great. So uh, PCB way, as you guys know, first off, they sponsor this channel, they sponsor Taylor's channel as well. They're just wonderful supporters of the 3D printing community. They don't just make PCBs. It's important for me to emphasize that. As you can see here, they make every kind of manufacturing and fab from sheet metal fabrication to CNC to they'll metal 3D print stuff for you. They'll machine titanium for you. They'll do injection molding for you. Um, I toured their factory. It is insane the scale that they are operating on to the point where they can offer you five PCBs for 10 bucks and they give you a sign up bonus of five bucks. Definitely check it out. Link in the description. 
I'll just also add on an interpersonal level, they're wonderful human beings to deal with. Everyone I've ever interacted with at PCBWay has been professional, friendly, kind, dedicated to customer service. These guys are serious players and they do a lot to support the 3D printing community. Myself and most of the other makers that uh, you guys love are supported in part by PCBWay. So check them out for your next project. And thanks to BCBWay for making this episode possible. I think that was a pretty good ad read, right? I went for the human was, angle. Human nailed angle. it. Okay, Taylor, you've got this booming business. At some point, you go from one Prusa to like, you, have, you said you have 20 printers. I only see the ones in the back. But I want to understand the how, right? It sounds like you're a very open guy about, you know, how you built this. I think we all want to know, right? Like, I would love to use my printers to serve my local community uh, and print things for people who need them. How do you make that happen without spending your entire day, you know, on Facebook Marketplace replying to people? <laughs> That's a fantastic question. And I did start on Facebook Marketplace and I quickly realized that it's a huge time sink. Yes. And I very quickly wanted to learn how I could take, this sounds kind of bad, but I wanted to take the human element out of it um, right. or at least In, put it- in the manufacturing. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just with 3D printing, the world is your oyster and there are so many options, but you can't approach a potential customer and say, Hey, I can do anything for you. What do you want me to do? Because right. you'll go blank, right? You need, it's like, you need structure. Um, so you need to kind of compartmentalize what anything looks like. And, you know, you can offer options within that. Um, but you need to guide people in the right direction, um, towards what value you can provide them. Um, yep. Yes. Yeah, so started with one printer started printing somebody else's designs um and yeah quickly realized that i'd be better off doing my own designs because i'm an engineer and i you know know cad and um i just get way more fulfillment out of it to be honest with you um even with the face shields um you know there was lots of face shield designs online um but i decided to take one and try to make it better in my own way um and in, i think in some ways that's beneficial and in, in some ways that's kind of a character flaw that i always feel the need to, you know, put my own spin on something and, you know, whatever. But I think in most regards, I try to make things better and uh, at least more personal to me. Um, yep. and, and I get way more fulfillment out of it. So um, just printing somebody else's designs is, is great. And if you're just getting started, that that's, you know, a fun way to do it. Um, but the sense of fulfillment that you get out of designing something yourself and, and, um, and, and for me now... use something that you made, it is so rewarding you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, for me, like being able to design something, like I, I have an idea and I'm like, okay, let's productize that. Let's package that up into something people could buy and let's put a listing for that on the internet somewhere. Um, and then somebody's going to, you know, spend their hard earned money on it. Right. And then I'm going to ship it wherever they live. So it's like making that connection of this was an idea in my head yesterday and somebody in Japan just ordered one. It's like, um, so cool. It's quite, it's quite profound. Um, I'm looking at your website now and I, I put it on the screen so people can see. I mean, you've got some cool stuff and, and not all of it is super engineering intensive. You know, you've got like some, some stamp dispensers that are cool and roses that are cool. Do, pe do people buy a lot through your website or do you advertise on Etsy? I mean, how do you get that guy from Japan to know about your Canada Post mailbox stamp dispenser? <laughs> Well, I don't think the guy from Japan is buying a Canada Post mailbox, but yeah, um, that's true. Yeah, so 
I, I do some sales through my website, but yeah, Etsy is, is a big platform for me as well. Yep. Um, I think for most people, they start there because it's safe and it's cost effective and it's easy and they really bring the traffic. <laughs> Plus you. Thank um, you. Nobody heard that. I, I muted. <laughs> thank you. Um, um, yes, Etsy has its its downsides, but if, you're, if you want to sell creative works, I feel like they're the only kind of game in town. Yeah, so let me just kind of pull back a little bit and, and give some tidbits that are actually useful. Sure. Um, with my philosophy is, and it, this, you know, so many people want to know how you can make money 3D printing, right? Um, oh, wh what can I sell? And then when they see somebody that's successful, they're like, well, what do you sell? Um, and th there's kind of two, um, two things I'd like to kind of say in that regard. Um, one of them is, and this is not to come across as critical or condescending. This is a make anything machine. If you can't make money making anything, then you're doing something wrong. Totally. Right? Um, that, that's one thing. And then the other thing is make good products. Don't make good 3D printed products. 3D printing is a method of manufacturing. It is not the be all end all. Um, and early in my early days, I said, you know, I'm you know selling a 3D printed rose or a 3D printed this. Um, for, for certain products, the, the term 3D printing adds value, right? And in others, it degrades. And it, especially as 3D printing becomes more uh, universal and people uh, sell their crappy looking uh, prints online on, on Facebook Marketplace. Um, if you're competing in that vertical of 3D printing, first of all, you need to educate your customer what is 3D printing. And they are either going to you know, know already and think you know, highly or poorly of it based on their previous experience with it, or you're going to need to educate them, right? But when you walk into a store, do you see, you know, injection molded uh, army man on the shelf? No, you just see the army man, right? Or whatever it may be. Yeah, you so, don't see it unless it's something that adds value, like hand-painted, handmade. Absolutely. That's very interesting. That's a absolutely. very smart point. Yeah, so that would be my advice is find find a, a market that you can compete in and and realize that your market is is limitless really um if you're selling 3d printed products then yeah you're um you know you're limited to people that want to buy 3d printed products but if you're selling products i mean there's billions of people in this world that need products of some sort right so that is um, really 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 good advice guys make sure you hit the like button if that's <laughs> advice to you because i've fallen into that trap too like I, I have some artwork that I sold on Etsy for a while. I actually stopped because Israel Post is such a pain in the ass. But like I designed these statues. This one is actually a remix. But like That's some cool. of the stuff I designed from scratch. And it's like very much I marketed it as 3D printed statues. So it's it's not as, you know, it's not art. If it's just something I 3D printed. You can see how much time I haven't moved this from the shelf. But um, if it's if it's just a statue then it's art. Oh, there's my house key. I've been hiding that in there. <laughs> that's that awesome. The, that's the feature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's yes. really, really, really good advice. Huh. Yeah. And I, I think if you keep those two things in mind, like a 3D printer is a make anything machine and I can make anything and not just 3D printed products. You know, yeah. obviously it is 3D printed, but, you know, think about the markets that you can compete in. Um, and, it, and better yet, if you can use the you know the characteristics of 3d printing to your advantage to make a better product totally. um totally you know like 
like just as an example, like, um, you know, one of the big products we do is replica street signs, right? Very, very basic product. Um, you need a large format printer to print those, mind you. <laughs> so these proofs yeah. don't cut it. Um, but the fact that 3D printing has the third dimension, all of our signs are embossed, right? And people like embossed because our, our competitors have flat printed metal. Right. So immediately we're leveraging the technology to make a better product than our competitor. Um, so we're competing in a marketplace that's dominated by other methods of manufacturing. Um, and we are doing it in such a way that we add value. Um, and you don't need to add value. You can compete, you know, uh, on parity with whatever your competitor is providing, right? Like it can be equal. Um, although 3d printing because of its flaws is probably never going to be equal to, uh, you know, other methods of manufacturing in terms of you know, raw quality. Um, sure. but if you can differentiate in terms of, you know, the third dimension, um, and you can leverage that, then you can create an even better product. Um, and of course the customization is, uh, that's the main, you know, you, know, you, you just can't around time can't also like I've, I've made vinyl signs. It's a shitload of work, yeah. you know, yeah. um, that's very, very smart. I love that. That's like my big takeaway for this episode. Um, I liked that you pointed out, like people always focus on, uh, what you sell too much, right? Because it's not, that's not the magic. And I've fallen into that trap of being like, oh, well, uncle Jesse understood video games. So he designed that, you know, this like video game controller thing, you know, what do I understand? And, uh, what you're saying is it, it the idea isn't the wow factor, right? But I do want to get a sense, like share with us some ideas that you've had of products that are good sellers for you. Like, and maybe, sure. maybe and the story of like, oh, well, I was using, I think this leaf blower thing that you sell. And I was like, I could use this to dry my car. That's a kind of cool idea. Yeah. So, so I would, I would propose that your question is um, misformed in the sense that it includes a preconceived notion that the, the ideas need to be your own. Um, True. Let the, let the customers tell you what the ideas are. Let the market dictate. Yep. Most of my products, you know, for instance, the, the product I sold to Japan, it's a, a mount for a turntable, like a record player. And it sits on a 45 degrees uh, degree angle and it just, you know, puts the record player on display. Um, and it's a product that the manufacturer used to make and they don't anymore. Um, so I had a customer that came to me and they said like, hey, can you replicate this? Here's a photo. So it's like, okay, sure. Um, and then I, I did it for him and, you know, charged him money for it. But that is, did I charge him enough to make it worth my time? Not necessarily, but I had that design. And I was like, hey, if this guy wants it, who else wants it? And I don't that own this record player. I've never heard of this record player. Um, but with marketplaces like Etsy, uh, you know, it takes me five minutes to take a photo of whatever product I've made, as long as it's not, you know, proprietary to that customer. Yeah. Um, and, and it's low risk to take five minutes and spend the 20 cent listing fee on Etsy to say like, hey, let's put this online. And if somebody wants it, they want it. And hey, it turns out, you know, somebody in Japan wants it and somebody in Australia wants it. And that's the product of mine that's most international. Like I ship, like ship yeah. that all over the world. Um, and I don't do many units of it, but it doesn't matter because I do, you know, a few units of that, a few units of this and, and whatever. But yeah, let that your customers dictate so cool. uh, what they you want. Know, it's, right? like, it's really funny. Like the advice that you're sharing is advice that I have shared with other people in other niches, like with online courses, people are like, well, where'd you get the idea for your online course? 
And then when it comes to 3D printing, because it is an everything machine, we have a saying in in Hebrew, the, the shoemaker goes barefoot. Like all this stuff that I knew as an entrepreneur in other verticals, straight out the window. I'm like, oh shit, this is really good advice. You're basically preaching the lean startup or or the, it's called customer development. Um, Eric yep. Reese calls it. It's, it's that, right? Take customer feedback, turn it into products. And yet I 3D printed a bunch of leather molds for someone that he he wanted, which was Creative Commons, open source commercial, like the license for the molds that he sent me, I could have turned around and sold thousands of them. And I was just like, hmm, I wonder where I find, like I, I want... Tell your friends that was that was basically my. Tell your friends that I can print them for them too. Like, could have put that up on Etsy if one person wanted. I already had the G code sliced. That's exactly the idea. And the thing is, if you tried to spin up a website for that or your a brand for that particular product, if you if you do it well and there's a market for it, then that's the best way to do it is to be yeah. a you know a specific uh, provider of a specific service. Um, because it's more trustworthy than a, a general store, right? Like, um, you don't want to yeah, be a, a make everything oh. shop necessarily because it can degrade your brand. But if you do right. one thing really well, then you can focus on it and build your brand around it. Um, but with Etsy, it really doesn't matter because too. like leather molds where yep. you can mold your own wallets and your own with your brand name right on there. You know, I'll put your logo onto the molds for you, man. Yeah, but but the point I'm trying to get at is that's just one idea. And if you took that and ran with it, there'd be a lot of time required to build a brand around it and build a business yeah. around it. Um, and you're going to be more trustworthy in the end if you do it well, and that's what you focus on versus, sure. oh, I've also, I also sell, uh, you know, dragons on my website, right. you know, like that just degrades your brand. So you need to focus if that's your, uh, what you're, or you know, create pursuing. separate brands. Yeah. Or create separate brands. But again, there's a lot of work involved in that. And if you look at my website, it's very much a, a general store catch all like we, we right. do everything. Um, but on Etsy, you know, for instance, it doesn't matter because people aren't coming to my store, they're going to Etsy and they're browsing for whatever it is they're looking right. for. Half the time, they don't even pay attention to who they're buying it from. Um, so the, bl the brand loyalty goes to the window there and, and you can get away with having one of everything and you know, nobody's gonna uh, knock you for that. that. Because Etsy does have stores and they had me set up a store with a name, but I never thought yeah. I didn't, I mean, you probably look at your analytics and traffic. Like, I guess people don't, don't really. Yeah. yeah. But also yeah, people it's are, like, I feel yeah. like there's some forgiveness. So I have this friend, I have this friend who's like the tape king was the tape king of Amazon. He sold his business, but he has like an empire of tapes. We're talking mm -hmm. like six figures worth of tape every month okay and uh and and his big thing was like i'm gonna sell this business and then i'm gonna i'm gonna get into we're gonna branch out into like craft adhesives like glue and glue sticks too and i was like you know i kind of made fun of him but it, it's true right like if you have credibility in in craft tape and and decorative tapes it's a lateral move to to go into adhesives and the same is true here like you have these uh these attachments that i showed on screen but for people listening on the audio attachments to a leaf blower that help you dry your car more effectively as i understand it it wouldn't be out of nowhere if you start 3d printing attachments for drills or you know hangers for tools it's it's a lateral move from leaf blower tools to saw dust collection to screwdriver mounts for your workshop it's it's kind of like 
you know, you can't go from selling uh, boutique coffee to massage services, but you can definitely go from this kind of tool to another kind of tool and slowly expand out your credibility until, you know, we make face shields. Face shields are also kind of a tool, you know, in a different profession. So that's an interesting yeah. thing as well. I would... I would challenge that I think you're slightly misinterpreting what I'm saying. Um, oh, no, I, think... I, I wasn't saying you're saying that. I'm saying I think even if people do look at your Etsy store, oops, sorry, Yep. that uh, I don't think it takes away credibility. But what you're saying, I think, is people don't even look at the Etsy store. Absolutely. So, yeah, exactly. Everything you said is true if you're trying to build a brand. Right. Because you don't want to confuse your customer by offering yeah products in a totally different niche, right? Like that's that's confusing. Unless you're a general store, but general stores don't do well. You need to be a brand, right? If you're if you're building your own brand, if you are on you know Etsy in particular or those marketplaces, people don't like you, there is no credibility. Like Etsy has the credibility. You know the only credibility you have is like your star rating, your and it's like rating. oh you're filling products on time and whatever. It's like um, yeah nobody cares that you you know sell right. cookie cutters and you sell leaf blower nozzles and they have nothing to do with each other right like um that's interesting i didn't realize that i completely thought that because etsy wanted me to make a store that they were then going to push my store to try and get repeat sales but that's that's i yeah we so do have a question it, by the way from emergent 3d who wants to know uh this was also my problem because israel post is caught in the 90s uh, Emergent 3D wants to know, how do you ship to Japan and other countries outside yours? Is it hard where you are? Yeah, so that, that's a good question. Um, shipping is is an interesting problem and it, it's very location dependent as, as you've uh, tested to. Um, in North America, you know, I'm Canadian, I'm in Canada, but, you know, it's probably a 50-50 split between uh, US and Canada in terms of my sales and then there's you know, reserve maybe 10% of that for international, but um, it's really dependent. So a lot of my products, and, and this is when design, uh, you know, design intent is really important. Um, in Canada, I can stick a stamp on something as long as it's below a certain size. Yeah. Um, so I design my products so that they fit in a particular package because then I can offer very inexpensive shipping. Um, and it, it, and, you, you know, you only have the means to do that if you're designing the product yourself. If you're reselling something, it's like, well, you know, it's this dimension. And if it doesn't fit in an envelope, then uh, sorry, you have to pay 20 bucks to get it from point A to point B. Right. Um, and and in Canada, that's that's the state of affairs. Like for me to send something, you know, interprovincial, which, you know, you know, we have provinces in Canada, but um, sending it like domestic, say domestically, like regionally, whatever, um, it could be $20. Um, meanwhile, I can send things to Texas, which is like Southern United States for like $8. Um, so yeah. And then inter internationally, like you can get reasonable rates for packages, but sometimes you pass that on to the customer and they like have a calculated yeah. shipping rate based on their location. Sometimes you roll it into the product or you split it 50, 50, um, all those sorts of things. But yeah, keeping in mind how you're shipping something, the box that's going in and how much it's, it's going to cost smart. you to get it. Is Canada Post pretty good about like you can order the label online, they'll send you supplies. I used to run a shipping business in California and it was so much easier than here. Like they'll pick up every day. You can order a truck to come every single day. They'll send you free supplies. Israel Post, get bent. Yeah, 
Yeah, so they're they're kind of middle of the road. Like they're okay, but they're not great. Um, the biggest thing is tracking, like whether or not the customer can track the package. Yeah. Um, and when you're talking about sticking a stamp on something, they can't. Yeah. Um, so it's a risk you have to take to. Um, and it depends on how much of a customer uh, focused business you want to be and how happy you want to keep people. Um, so I, I kind of put a disclaimer that says like, Hey, this is untracked at your own risk, whatever. Um, and it is what it is. But you know, if somebody takes issue with that, I usually just replace the product. Um, right. but it, it's just, it's the cost of doing business and it's unfortunate. Um, but there's, you know, there, you have to establish trust and you just have to trust that there's good people and trust that there's bad people. And you just have to, um, if you want to, you know, be, uh, competitive in the market, you basically need to offer free shipping because, you know, people are so used to Amazon, right? Like the Amazon effect wow. where that's, a, that's um, shipping, your third shipping. really, really great point of this uh, interview. <laughs> Big takeaway. Carry on. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you have to be able to compete with inexpensive shipping because the, the biggest mistake sellers make on Etsy, um, if you look at their, their product page and you look at how much the shipping is, oftentimes it's more or the same amount or, um, and, it, and psychologically, you don't want to pay more for the shipping than the product, right? Right. Um, so that makes it very difficult to sell anything, you know, under $20 on Etsy if your cost of shipping is $20, right? So um, that's why I try to design my products so they fit in an envelope and I can send them for the cost of a stamp, which is, you know, $2, $3, depends on the weight. But um, yeah, that, that that's highly... Uh, highly uh, determinant of my success in my sales is the ability to have inexpensive shipping. And that's true of um, true of anyone. So you really just need to factor that in. And um, that is very, very smart. Yeah. So would you say it's better to just increase the price and therefore the perceived, because we know people perceive uh, price as an indicator of quality. So is it better to just up your prices and then make free shipping? Absolutely. Yeah. Which by the way, I mean, many people don't realize this is what Amazon is doing. Like you're paying for that shipping even if you have Prime. That $15 water bottle is actually $10 if you go to Target. And that's a real example that I that I experienced. Um, you're paying for the shipping. It's just yep. factored in for psychological reasons in most cases. Um, so mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. I might just, if I can find a branch of the Israel Post that's actually open for more than an hour a day, I might just relist my stuff on Etsy. Taylor, I, I want to ask you about printers because you, first off, you have the Prusa XL, which you're one of the very few people who has it. I don't actually know of any other content creators who have a tool changer version. You're the first one, I think. Um, and you have a lot of bamboo printers. And obviously, as I see behind you, you're very invested in the Prusa ecosystem. You're running these printers nonstop. So I'm curious uh, where you are, what you're investing in, you just put out a video that people should check out updating on the Prusa XL quality. Um, but I imagine you're also a little sore about waiting two years and paying $3,500 and the profiles are not perfectly tuned and ready for you. So I, I want to hear, uh, I, I want to try and keep emotion out of this because this is a business decision for you. And also I need to stay out of drama for good, but if your business scales tomorrow, what printers are you going to be investing in and why based on all your experience? Great question. And there was, there was multiple points I'd like to address uh, yeah. in what you just said. Um, 
yeah, so being a content creator, it's a whole different uh, psychology. Like it's a whole different yeah. school of thought. Um, and yeah, I, you know, I, I'm amongst the first uh, people to report on the Prusa XL and certainly the five head. Um, and that, that's kind of been a strategy, um, as I'm sure you can attest to, um, especially as, as a starting out creator, like in small audience, like you need to jump on those trending topics. Yes. Um, so for me, I got in on day one on the Prusa XL order. Uh, I think that must have been before I was doing content because I've been doing that for less than a year. Um, but I definitely make a lot of purchase decisions based on the, the content that I could create from it. Um, and that's, I just double end, uh, any purchase I make because it's going to make me money. I'm going to use it as a tool and I'm going to make content with it. And I'm, uh, and the content part is, is fun. Like that's yeah, <laughs> my hobby. You're not going to make enjoy. the money back for any, almost any printer. I mean, unless it's a $199 ender and you really, really love it enough to in good conscience recommend it you're never, I mean, that's why I canceled my Mark IV order, not because I think the Mark IV is a horrible printer, but other people already did the reviews before I got it. I was like, uh, Absolutely. I, I can't spend 1200 bucks. You know, I'm not going to make that much on the video. Not even close. So. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the economics of it are, are important to consider. And right. um, yeah, being, being the first mover, like you have the first mover advantage always. Right. Um, yeah, so, so even with the A1, for instance. I will say, um, what's nice about the XL, though, is you can, a lot of these printers are just, you know, you talk about the Anycubic Cobra Pro 2, you give the features, no one's going to be interested in three weeks. I love Anycubic, I love you guys. The printer still needs some work on the profile tuning, but like, nothing against you guys, but no one's going to care about that printer in two weeks. Whereas the Prusa XL, you can make a lot of content around that, and you can do a lot of shorts, and you can do a lot of amazing prints, and tool changes and because it's open source you can tinker with it and improve it and contribute to the community which is going to build build your following so that i think is a is a better decision than buying uh i, don't, I there's no printer that expensive so I, I don't have a i don't have a comparison yeah and and that's a really good point is the story arc right like a lot of videos on youtube are, are one-offs and you you know do a product review and then you move on um, and i do i do share those but um where i really you know, kind of cut my teeth, so to speak, um, is with this like niche printer called the Trudon, which is like a Voron derivative, um, basically a pre-built Voron 2.4. Um, and I've done, I think 10 videos on that printer. Um, wow. I, I like don't want to kind of toot my own horn, but I feel like it's probably unheard of to, um, have such a story arc of like starting from an unboxing to like, you know, initial thoughts to like, here's this upgrade, here's that upgrade. And it's like, and I, I like, my uh, my online following is primarily you know based on that that was where i got my start and um, a lot of my supporters over on patreon um have an interest in that printer and for whatever reason uh well actually i know the reason but nobody's talking about that particular printer besides me um, what is the reason i haven't really heard much about it but wh what is the reason exactly. so the reason is that Formbot, uh you know they make voron kits that's where most people know them um right. they don't value, they don't value influencer marketing um, so I had to buy that printer, you know, um, I invested in it. Um, and, and even today, like, you know, they've sent me a few things, but, um, you know, you basically have to ask them for it. They don't seek out influencers. And, um, that's so funny how that's like one hire at each one of the companies I visited in China. And I don't want to toot our own horns, but it really is true. Like when I saw uh, caribou went out of business or is going out of business in the process 
and they used to make uh like modified prusa mark three i won't call them clones but they, and they basically literally the tweet read we're going out of business because of they said it in a kind of politically careful way, but we're going out of business because of overhyped printers that influencers talk about all the time and nobody has bought our printers since. And they, they didn't like blame the influencers, but it just made me realize like, whoa, this community, uh, the the purchasing decisions, and I, I know this from when I had a Bamboo Lab affiliate account, I no longer do due to my own stupidity, but um, like this community purchases based on the content that's created around this stuff like there there's no number two i don't think sales channel like i don't think bamboo maybe bamboo lab is running instagram reels ads or facebook ads but i don't think so you know so that's interesting absolutely um and yeah you're right Formbot has never reached out i don't know anyone who's ever worked with them so that's interesting. yeah so so the the reason um voron kits will sell themselves because the voron uh, project has its own momentum and uh, people are posting about making vorons or building a voron right and it's like oh where do i buy a kit because i'm too lazy to source this myself and it's you know you have a handful of suppliers but so those kind of sell themselves but formbot has their own line of printers and the trudon is one of them um, and the appeal of that is that it's a pre-built voron essentially um and they yeah they don't send it to any influencers so that's why nobody's talking about it i bought it i did an unboxing and it's like you know, I played off the hype of the Voron, obviously, you know, I called it a Voron clone. It's really a derivative because um, yeah. they changed up a few things. But uh, for all intents and purposes, it's a Voron 2.4 with a hell of a lot less work to uh, build it. So I, I built it up. And then, like I said, I've, I've done like 10 or 12 videos on it. I, you know, switched it to Clipper. Um, it doesn't you know, run Clipper out of the box? No, it runs RepRap firmware, uh, which is an interesting decision. But um, RepRap in its own way is very capable. So so that's that. part of... Uh, Part of my story arc has been I have two of them and one of them runs RepRap, one of them runs Clipper. And anytime I do an upgrade, um, I have to document both. <laughs> so it's uh, my videos are twice as long and twice as much work because I'm like, here's how you do it in Clipper and here's how you do it in RepRap. Um, and even like the, it's not just software, it's like the hardware. Um, so my next set of videos is I'm doing a CAN bus upgrade. Um, and there's a different tool board for RepRap than there is for Clipper and um, all those I'm sorts of things. I'm kind of blown but... away that you have the time to actually like, <laughs> devote to one printer maybe because you give them names you actually care about them but like <laughs> we just had a, a new part-time employee start uh vlad who some of you know because he's been on live streams and like his first day this is kind of story time but his first day i was like hey can you get that i won't say which printer broke down on me um <laughs> but because it's a upcoming thing but i'm like hey can you get that thing operating again so we can record with it and he's like I mean, he has two printers at home that he loves. One is a Voron that he built. And so he's like meticulously like making sure every bolt is tight. And at some point I had to like grab him by the shoulders and I was like, Vlad, I care about this printer zero. Like <laughs> to me, it is just a burden that I need to like get it fixed and up and running so that we can move on to the next, like printers here are disposable to me. What matters is your time, my time, audiences interest and entertainment and education like we the printers are have no value whatsoever except for the voron 2.4 you fuck that up i'm gonna kill you but uh, <laughs> that and the bamboo printers but everything else is disposable and he was like oh i get it like yeah there's 20 so i'm amazed that you like have time to upgrade your printers for me it's like if there isn't a, a an ex a very exciting product that someone has sent me that i think the audience will care about like i'm not 
upgrading my own printers, except for the Voron, because I love it. It's my baby. Yeah, and, <laughs> and to be honest with you, well, you know what? It's it's very um, it's very determinant of the fact that I am making content because right, I'm okay. very much a if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of guy. And um, yeah. I get excited. I like shopping. I buy lots of upgrades and then they sit in boxes and they collect dust and I do nothing with them. Um, but because I'm making content now, I have an excuse to do all of the, all of these things. Right. Um, so it's, it's great motivation to, to get in there and learn a few things, upgrade and my hardware is better at the end of the day for it. Um, and then I, you know, have an audience that I've built around that particular right. printer. That specific um, printer. That's very smart. DJ's Pro asks really disposable 3D printers. And I just want to explain, like, this is not a brag. This is more of a complaint, even though I know it falls on deaf ears. But, like, when you first start out, it's really exciting, and they send you free printers, and and it's amazing. And, like, I still love my Voron because it was my first free printer, and it's probably my favorite printer. Maybe. Um, But, like, when I say disposable, it's, like, it's a lot of Ender clones that you get. It's a lot of... uh, you know, there there are printers that you have to talk about because they pay the bills. Um, and it's like, there was one week where I got seven printers in a week. It's like, so I really don't want to sound not grateful because I love getting products to review. I, get, I love that I get to do this for a living. Like, I'm super grateful of all of those things. But like, when there's that quantity of new printers coming out on the market, the ones that you actually care to keep and use and maintain and take care of and upgrade to the latest firmware become like few and far between. There's probably, let's put it this way. If God forbid there was a fire in my shop, I know exactly which three printers I'm saving, right? There's one resin printer and two FDMs if I can carry them out in time. And everything else it's like, you know, I don't know if you feel that way. You use them as tools in your business, so. Yeah. So, so that's a really good point. And that's something that I found quite surprising. You know, I don't have that many subscribers on YouTube. Like I have less than 5,000. Um, up and coming. <laughs> yeah. I, I like yeah. your channel a lot. I think you do really, really great yeah. videos. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I, w- I was shocked at just how early companies reached out to me. Um, and one of my early videos, like after I moved on, you know, from the Trudon series where I, you know, I took a break from it, um, was for a printer. And I, you know, I wanted to put a different spin on it. And and you've talked about how, you know, you know, every influencer under the sun gets these new printers and then like it's, you know, uh, it gets tired and nobody wants to hear about it. So, um, you know, you try to put a different spin on it. So that the whole premise of that video was, you know, initially it was titled, um, I accidentally became a 3D printing influencer, um, which for some, for some people, they, you know, sounded kind of pompous, I guess, and uh, they didn't relate to it. But other people are like, oh, well, I was trying to be relatable and say like, hi, I'm just a guy like I am you like 30 minutes ago (laughs) and uh, or 30 minutes in the future. Uh, And I have companies sending me printers and it's like, wow, like it just blew me away how quickly I was able to kind of um, go fast. Yeah. You know, companies reached out and they wanted to send me stuff. But yeah, now I'm at the point where I have so many ideas on the back burner because things just keep coming. You know, companies reach out. They want to send you something. Other things I buy with my own money, but I I still want to make content on it. Um, right. and yeah, the, the Prusa XL is the newest one and we should probably loop back to that cause there might be people waiting on the, so that, uh, yeah. knowledge, but I also um, want to make a correction. I yeah. used the word disposable. What I meant was a consumable as in like, you know, you change the, 
you change the disposable cups in the water fountain because people, you know, I use a printer for the reviews. I don't mean disposable in the sense of the, the kind of uh, environmental case. Like I give, I give printers away. I sometimes sell the printers at a huge discount, but uh, no, I'm not disposing of them. They're consumables. It's almost like, feel free to send some of those disposable printers my way. Um, yeah, talk to me about the Prusa XL. Like, yeah, oh, so... You, wait, you didn't answer the question. If you have to scale up your business, what are you uh, buying? More Mark Threes, or are you buying more Bamboo Lab printers? Like, if, if all of a sudden your order volume increases 20%, what are you going to do? That's a good question. So... Um, <laughs> So obviously, like I'm, I'm very middle of the road in a lot of things, and uh, you know, I don't, I don't pick sides, and it's, it's remarkable how uh, polarizing 3D printing can be. But, totally. um, you know, it looks like I'm a big Prusa fanboy because these are all Prusas, but you know, behind me they're all bamboos like on the ground. So, um, yeah, it's pretty much an even split um, between those, and then you know, I have a variety of large format printers. But, um, I yeah, I Where just buy whatever. Those, by the way, are they like off camera? Where behind the camera? Yeah, so so a variety of them are off camera, and then I have a second facility um, that has you know more printers, <laughs> basically. Amazing. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, I like I like you know both Prusa and Bamboo. I, I I think for the money, Bamboo is definitely the way to go. Um, okay. But and but, in your experience, because the big complaint people have or concern, I should say, is like especially with the carbon rods, closed ecosystem, like. You've probably put more hours than most people on these machines. Uh, I mean, you and I both have Mark Threes and Bamboos. I definitely do find myself having to do maintenance more on the Bamboos. They're more finicky. Like they really want you to clean, you know, clean the rods all the time and things that the Prusa just will survive neglect much better. <laughs> and Absolutely. also like little things going wrong, like nozzle temperature malfunctions, definitely much more on the Bamboos than the mark three at least i don't have a mark four yeah so yeah i've definitely had like weird nozzle clogs and like i've replaced a variety of components on my bamboo printers as well um so as much as they sell themselves as kind of a turnkey uh, system that you know your grandmother could use right they're definitely they're definitely not and like no 3d printer this these days is is that uh hands off unfortunately um the you know, a1 mini just... might be it might be. I, I don't know. I really want to get the mom that I had testing the Anchor Make M5 back. Uh, and just like, I, I even thought about giving it to my mom, like my mom, my actual mom. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I keep yeah. interrupting you. It's all good. Um, yeah, so they, I think the A1 is, um, yeah, very interesting. And uh, it's definitely has all of the right components to make it accessible. Um, and then you tie in like their Maker World integration. And nice. I, I did a video on that. Um, it didn't get a whole lot of views, but uh, I was basically talking about how it would like impact the three D printing industry, um, right. and I, you know, I kind of went down the road of I could see companies licensing their designs for like a, a per print um, thing. Like for instance, people reached out to me. I was like, "Hey, can you send me the STL for this leaf blower nozzle, or would you, you know, sell that to me?" And I'm like, "No, because I don't trust you, and I don't want you to go oh, become yeah. my, my biggest competitor." But if I could say like. I will license you one print and it you can print it, but you can't do yes. anything else with the raw files. Um, I think there that is someone is where... doing something similar where they're basically selling a, a computer box that mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to explain, but you plug it into your printers and then you just get on-demand print jobs. Um, another thing that I think might help you in your case is you just tell them, 
No, that doesn't work. I was going to say you, you ask them what printer and what filament and you just give them pre-sliced G-code so they couldn't at least upload the STL. But then they could upload the G-code and you know people could mess with it or they could just print 100 of them with the same G-code. So, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, and then like like there's my application for that. And then uh, the one example I gave in the video was like Ikea. Like Ikea makes 3D printed products. They have like, their own line and they're already selling them. Um, they have 3D printed products? Yeah, it's like this this really niche product line and they're like decorative stuff. But um, yeah, they, they do all their own fulfillment for that. But the benefit of 3D printing is that it's global and it's distributed. And if they could, you know, you could purchase a license to print one of those for your own home. Right. You could save on shipping costs. It'd be more uh, economical. It'd be, um, you know, better for the environment. And like, that's where the power of 3D printing really lies. But um, you, you can't establish the trust of, you know, distributing those files. Um, so the only way to do that is to, you know, enable per prints uh, licensing. Um, and right now, Bamboo is, is on the verge of that. And, you know, they're potentially going down that road. Unfortunately, that locks you into the Bamboo ecosystem. Um, right. So I would like to see other manufacturers doing that or, um, a central repository where, um, yeah, you can upload G-code for Prusa printers, you can upload G-code for Bamboo printers, um, and you can buy a license to print one of them. Um, I love that. Yeah. Not buy you know, a, a universal license that you'll own forever and you can do whatever with because you just can't trust people, uh, unfortunately. So um, anyways, yeah, another if way, I were to yeah, buy more... Another way Bamboo could do it with their cloud is, it. I mean, you don't even need Maker World. If you can allow me to remote, like... My, I just got a Tesla, and the only reason I share that is because it has valet mode, and it basically means if you're if you fly out of town and you realize it's hailing, you can call your neighbor and be like, "Hey, I'm opening valet mode, and it's gonna allow them to move the car only for two minutes." Um, and if I could open a, a remote mode on my here's an idea for Dr. Tao, uh, if I could open a remote mode on my bamboo printer, I call you or text you, Taylor, and I say, hey, I want this model. Here's my QR code. I'm going to mm -hmm. load in PLA. Can you print it remotely on my printer? So you control the printing. They would just need to engineer into the firmware that it doesn't get saved to the print cache because these printers save the print cache, and it needs to be grayed out in the history. But that's a really cool idea where... And it's, I mean, obviously they want to leverage Maker World. They've invested a ton of resources into it, but this uh, could leverage, go through Maker World, and it's just, just allow me to remotely control your printer. But I think you're right. It's probably a whole lot easier just to add a DRM functionality into Maker World, like pay per number of times I print. Yeah, but as soon as you go down this road, like people are going to get their backs up and they're going to say like, oh, that's going to be a monopoly and. Um, and so on and so forth. And, so Prusa and, should do it too. I mean, a good idea is a good idea. And like yep. they are, even though there's drama around it, they're doing a what I think is a healthy idea or a healthy uh, volley of innovation from Thingiverse to Thangs to, I mean, they're all uh, taking inspiration from one another. I, I don't know if Joe would agree with me, but... I think for the consumer, it's healthy, and I don't think anyone of them has done anything unethical in creating their own platforms that are inspired from one another. So that that's a good idea that should go into all of these platforms. And then we're not locked in. Buy my buy a license to print my file on any one of these. I don't care, you know. Yeah, yeah. The only, I mean, the only uh, the only way that kind of breaks down is when it's proprietary 
concepts that people are you know patenting and uh, obviously more and more companies in the 3d printing space are doing that protecting their ip and then um you know others yeah, can ex- what we're talking about is drm i'm not a lawyer yeah, the, but yeah like this, that, this concept that exists right that exists in that if i rent a movie on apple tv i can only watch it once um you know, absolutely yeah and that's that's kind music, of what I was but it exists with movies and television um, yeah, and that's that's a great analogy, actually, and and that's kind of what I was proposing is, um, you know, back in the day, you'd buy a full album, right, of music. Right. Um, now you, you can buy it per song, ninety nine cents, and right. even better than that, you can you don't need you to buy it. it, you can stream it on Spotify. Right. Yeah. Right. You rent it. Um, so that's kind of the concept is, you know, right now you can buy a three D model and own it forever, but there's no rental option. There's no limited use option. Um, well, then worse than that, if you buy it, no one is going, uh, Mark Forged is doing this. Nick says it's called digital source. That's very smart. It's very, very smart. Yeah. I think, I think the issue there is, and where people are going to get sensitive about this topic is protecting the rights of the maker. And, you know, a company like Mark Forged, like that, you know, most of us don't own Mark Forged printers because they're too expensive. Um, and even with, even with bamboo printers, which are more economical, like, a lot of people are sensitive about the cloud and like sharing their data and things like that. Yes. Um, you know, for me, I, I don't care. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not sensitive to it. And I, I don't, I- until I have evidence of it and I think there's a real risk, then I'm not going to concern myself with it. So I think unless you're a government agency, you're over, you're overblowing it. And, uh, you know, the, the number of people that aren't buying bamboo printers because it's only cloud enabled, I'm like, man, you're missing out because these are great printers. Um, Agreed. but of course, there is the a open land source mode though. So they're, well, they're, they're completely there. Yeah. Yeah. The- I suspect someone made a comment on one of my videos and they're like, Oh, the a one mini is a bed slinger. Now, what are people going to find? Like, what are the, uh, you know, what are the bamboo fanboys going to find to hate on like other printers? Right. And I thought about that and it goes both ways. Like I feel like there is a faction of people who just want to hate bamboo for whatever reason could be because they're Chinese could be because people are bitter because they bought a Mark three the week before the bamboo came out. Like, I think there are reasons there is a faction of people who just don't want to like this new company, new entrant to the space. And I feel like that a lot of the cloud security stuff comes from blowing it's blown out of proportion for that. Now, if you are using these printers to prototype a product, you don't even have to be a government agent, right? If you are using these products to prototype something at Siemens or Bosch or BYD or Tesla, like I get it. I totally get it. Corporate espionage is a hundred percent a real thing that happens every single day. And I've been blown away just even when I was in China, like the things that people told me about what I had maybe or maybe not seen, like it's crazy. Um, but if you're just a dude printing, you know, uh, uh, honeycomb walls and and little toys for your kids at home, like or dudette, get over it, man. You're, people have an a, an inflated sense of their own uh, privacy needs. In this, I I will say people have a way too low sense of their privacy needs when it comes to their online banking and general online activity. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm gonna upset some people with that comment. But yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So just to circle back to your question, if I were to buy more printers tomorrow, um, I have an A1 on the way. Um, cool. I'm excited to see it. 
my only reservation is the footprint being you know twice as big essentially with the AMS. Um, but for the type of products I make, the like we do a lot of multicolor stuff, um, and the AMS was revolutionary. Um, yeah, you know we we used the palette before that, and the palette is a you know it served its time in the market, um, but the AMS is just so much more efficient. Um, and, and what I'll say, just looping back to the XL, and and let's talk a little bit more about that because yeah, people yeah. might be interested. The, com- the direct comparisons between the XL tool changer and the uh, X1 Carbon P1P AMS, um, there's things I like on, on both fronts. I really like how with the AMS, when the printer's idle, I go over and take the spool out and put it on a different printer if I need it. Um, with the XL, I would need to fire up the printer. I would need to preheat the nozzle. I would need yeah. to unload it. Yeah. It's going to take me five minutes per tool to, to switch filament. Um, I'll tell you honestly, with a lot of my printers, I don't even, I just pull the Bowden tube and snip. And I'm like, I'll deal with that later. Like when I need that printer to heat it up, I'll just do it then. Yeah. 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 And that makes sense. But if you did want to switch the filament on the XL, like, yeah, you can rob the, the filament roll and take it elsewhere. Um, but for instance, if I want to actually print with five new colors on the XL, I need to, you know, individually heat each uh, tool head um, and unload it and then re- reload new filament. So in terms of the efficiency of that, it is not ideal. If you use the same five colors or, you know, five materials all the time, then you're never going to worry about that or seldom you're going to worry about that. Um, but the speed of the tool changing for multi-material, like I, I touched on that towards the end of my last video, yeah. um, talking about the, the print quality. Uh, and we can we can touch on that in a minute. But yeah, the, the speed of the, the color changes. So dual color Benchy, like it was like an hour and a half, which it was very standard, like Mark three days uh, Benchy speeds. Like it's not yeah. fast because they don't have the input shaping yet. Um, but the tool changes, like it's basically negligible difference for a single color Benchy versus a dual color Benchy. Yeah. And then a, a single color Benchy on the bamboo is like, you know, 16 minutes, like crazy quick. As soon as it's dual color, it was over six hours. Um, How fast yeah. are the tool changes on the XL in seconds? 10 seconds. Yeah. So that's, that's, and slow. Then, that's slow compared to where they will go with it. I, th- I think I can give them credit. I know. Prusa as a company is not interested in speed. They're interested in quality and durability and reliability. I will say that. Mm-hmm. But one dude in India working on him on him on himself on it himself uh, has this project called the WP Daksh, and he it's based on a boron Trident or two point four. I think two point four. He has tool changes down to one and a half seconds with perfect accuracy. One and a wow. half seconds. So imagine how fast that multicolor benchy is. It literally becomes negligible. Yeah, it, it's all relative though, right? Like for me, 10 seconds is phenomenal because on the bamboo, it's a minute 45, I think I clocked. Right. Uh, and yeah, and on, the pre- on the distance, mine's longer because uh, I've extended the distance. And uh, at the shop, I mean, I have bamboo, then other printers than all the AMSs up top. So it's like three minutes, <laughs> that extra, you know, 10 seconds here, 10 seconds there. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think that correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's one benefit of the A1 is that the, right. the cutting happens uh, closer to the tool head or something like that. Or uh, quicker. Yeah, the filament never, never comes back more than this much. I'm very exactly. curious because on the A1, you have to be very specific about which Bowden tubes go into which. Uh, one of the things I want to test, but I feel like no one wants to see A1 content from me and I don't blame them, <laughs> is 
is uh, I want to test if I can put longer Bowden tubes because as you said, the footprint is a nightmare. I'd really love to like, you know, mount the AMS on a bookshelf and put the printer down on the desk. So I might play with that. Anyway, carry on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like I said, I have an A1 on the way. And, and as you touched on and we touched on earlier, like the content space, um, if you don't get one of these printers sent to you from the beginning, like it's hard to kind of make an impact um, as a small creator. Like it's almost like a waste of money to get into that. That's why if you can get a niche machine that nobody's talking about, you have you have an opportunity. Sure. Um, Look, I, so I have an A1 really on the did way. with the Cyborg uh, yeah. Boron. Like, wow, that video blew up. That video put... I told Cyborg, I was like, you guys need to put Alan Mandic's picture on the wall because that put you guys on the map. Uh, but it's yeah. true, and those videos did well for him. Yeah, yeah. so for me with, with the A1, like I'm going to test it in my business, uh, see how well it can do in that regard. Um, and then in terms of content, like there's so much content, so I might just skip over it. But if I do make content, the one idea I'm thinking is um, kind of the, the title would be like, can, can the A1 mini pay for itself in one week? Um, and I would basically try it to use it to pay for itself in one week and i think it's it's super feasible because it's yeah the printer itself is like 269 or something like that um yeah you know you'd have to factor in the ams cost if i'm doing multicolor, but i think it'd be so easy um well maybe not so easy i shouldn't <laughs> say that too I, soon but um i think it's very feasible for, for a business um even if you're doing cookie cutters and cookie cutters in 3d printing that's like the most overdone thing but if you look at etsy shops that sell cookie cutters like 50,000 sales like just nuts like it's the, it's the biggest market um wow. or one of the big markets for 300 products yeah um and that's so easy you know what are you I, doing I, I, with I, the xl by the way you said most of your products fit in a you know envelope so did you buy the xl just for the tool changing or did you actually want the big bed size yeah so both um, so we do multicolor, um, like I said, we do replica street signs. So those are always dual color and those are like 15 inches. Um, so that's why, yeah, we, we need big printers, unfortunately. And, um, but the XL is not economical for that. Um, so again, design for 3d printing. And, um, what we do is we design most of our products for manual color changes. Um, and, and even if you're using a multi-material system, if you can, have a fixed layer transition versus like switching back and forth twice per layer, for instance, sure. uh, it's just way more efficient. So we do a lot of like layered designs, um, just trying to keep the, the cost down, keep the, the time low for printing uh, and less waste. Um, sure. So th the XL being so expensive, it's um, as a business decision, um, I it's going to take longer to, to pay off than any other machine, obviously. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's way easier to justify purchases when you're, making money with it first of all and then you're making content with it right <laughs> so i i live in the, i live in this uh, fantasy land where i um i get i get to just buy toys when i want to because usually they're going to pay themselves back not always um yeah. and i'm going to you know make content with it and then i can kind of double dip uh in that regard yeah, i but... wonder if i mean you'll get to a point right where i'm in a kind of opposite situation where i'm like I don't think I can buy these printers because I have so many printers being sent free. I can't justify buying another one. I think you'll very quickly find yourself, you're like, I don't think I can buy printers anymore because it's like someone else is going to send you, you know, a Comgro T500. You're going to have a large printer. Um, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Speaking of which, I reached out to them and they, uh, they didn't respond to my email. <laughs> I can connect you if you but, want. Uh... Cool. Yeah, I like big printers and that looks nice. But um, 
interesting on that point prusa is like the one manufacturer that never sends anybody anything because they don't need to right like they have the market but as you've probably seen they've been sending people mark fours so what what does that say about uh about you know the market share for the mark four right now that they're sending it to people for the, for what i believe is the first time I, I i don't know that for a fact but um they don't throw printers at people like some of these other brands do so um but you know, know the three fact that, that have been given away at least Four, yeah, uh, three. I know of three. Yeah, yeah. I know Nathan builds robots. Just did a review on one. I think he spoke to Prusa directly. But um, meanwhile, Actually, you have these I know other of four, and I'll yeah. I'll tell you yeah. privately who the fourth is. And uh, this person told me he's like, dude, if you just reach out to them, they'll send you one. But they're not going to go looking for you. I was like, I don't, I don't. I feel like I'm not going to get one. <laughs> yeah, but um, uh, but yeah, with with the XL. Um, that's the interesting thing is I, I paid my own money for this. And, and I said right. in the beginning of my last video, it's the most I've ever spent on a consumer product besides a car, you know, that really? I can recall. I mean, like, think about it. Like it's, I mean, in my currency, Canadian dollars, uh, sure. it's like 5,000 Canadian dollars. So like, so 3,500 us, whatever for the, the five head tool changer. Yeah. So I was like, what have I, shipping? what have I spent that kind of money on? Like, no shipping was extra, uh, plus okay, import, yeah. plus import. It's like, I what have I my bought? MacBook Pro was more expensive than that, but otherwise, you're right. Like, I think I spent yeah, if, I mean, if you get a dollars on a MacBook Pro. Yeah. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, computers are expensive. Um, but you're right. That's yeah. Like if rare, if you get a, a really maxed out. Yeah, and, and you can get a computer for a lot less, right? Um, but any appliance in my house, fridge, dishwasher, like anything, like yeah, under right. under five grand. Um, uh. Yeah. So the only other thing I can think of is a car. <laughs> so when you think of in that kind of territory, like there's not many people hobbyists that can afford or justify to buy it. Even if they can afford it, it's like, you know, the, the wife's going to come knocking and be like, why do you spend that much money on that? Like, um, right. So unless you're making money with it or making content with it, it's like, or you really like 3D printing and have disposable income. It's a, it's a hard sure. sell. Um, so sure. for me, with you know, you. being somebody that yeah, for me being somebody that had an excuse to buy it, um, I mean, I have an opportunity, but I have a responsibility. Like, I want to share my honest feedback, but I don't want to, I don't want to um, tell people it's great if it's not, and I don't want to tell people it sucks if it doesn't. Um, right. And and user error is rampant, and um, it's funny. I shared one of my early, uh, you know, prints off the Prusa XL, and it looked terrible. <laughs> and uh, one of the comments was, "Looks like incompetence to me." <laughs> Get ready. I, Those comments I mean, only get nicer as your channel grows. Let yeah. me tell you. It, it was just humorous. It's like, um, it's like I, I spent an unhealthy amount of time thinking about 3D printing, doing 3D printing. Uh, this is how I make my living. It's like every day, uh, eat, sleep, breathe 3D printing. Um, yep. But the guy in the comments is better, I, of course. Just wait. Just um, wait, my but, friend. Just but, wait. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and... Um, and to be honest with you, like getting into content, like I was a little bit um, apprehensive for a few reasons. Obviously, there's, you know, you open yourself up online, you open yourself up to criticism. Um, but as a business owner, it was like, well, you know, do I want to show people what I'm doing? Um, and I don't share a lot about the business side of things yet. I would like to get into that more. Um, but because I co-branded my channel, the same as my business, um, you know, if you want to figure out what I print, go ahead. <laughs> you know, you, you can look me up. Um, but But I'll tell you that some of those sell really well and some of them, some of them are uh, 
goose eggs. <laughs> so, you right. know, take, take your pick. Um, you know, Very cool. but, uh, um, yeah, anyway, so I, with, with the Prusa XL on that first print, um, looking so bad, I, you know, I shared some feedback on that. Um, and I wanted to follow up on that with some actual, you know, semi-scientific testing and say like, yeah. you know, what is it? Like, did I do something wrong? Because everybody make, makes mistakes, right? Um, Except the guy so I, you know, I never makes a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, he never makes mistakes. Not once. It's never um, happened. No. But yeah, so what I did is I basically just grabbed five filament rolls off the shelf and threw them at the printer and printed the pre-sliced keychain. And I was like, yeah, it's probably not going to be fantastic because this filament's a little old and, you know, this is sliced for pre whatever. But it was like the worst first print I've ever seen. Um, so, you know, is that partially user error? Sure. You know, it's sliced for pre The filament's not that dry, whatever. Um, but... I'm a, I'm a, I'm a pretty experienced user. And if, if I make that mistake or, you know, that's how I do things and it yeah. looks that bad, it's like, to me, there's a bit of a disconnect. Like it, it, so I, I didn't expect a hundred percent, but I didn't yeah. expect 50 either. So I want to comment on this because this is so in line with one of my experiences I had this week. Uh, I destroyed a printer, a very exp- expensive, expensive printer. And I got really down on myself because I was like, this is like the third or fourth or maybe fifth machine that I've destroyed. And I was like, I, I've never claimed to be an engineer. I'm not an engineer. I'm a hobbyist just like everyone else. And I'm like ADD and I don't read instructions super well. And like, you know, I'm not a perfect human being or perfect hobbyist. I'm probably not the smartest person either. But I was telling my wife like this, you know, uh, it's embarrassing and, and credibility. And my mom was in the room because she's visiting from out of town. And she's like, aren't you getting these machines before anyone I'm like, yeah. And she's like, and are the instructions always perfect? I'm like, no, you know, sometimes they say right when it means left. And even the the Bamboo Lab printer, the first one I unboxed there, they fixed it before, but like things were actually literally mislabeled on the product. Stickers, not in the injection molds. But uh, Surflex, you said expendable. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm I'm destroying a lot of these products And some of it is definite user error or just that I'm so rushed where, you know, I probably shouldn't run it like this, but I really need this print to work for this video. So I'm just going to do it anyway, because the video is more important to me than, than the printer. Um, But at the same time, there is an element of like, you're one of the first people, you can't just Google for the Excel and find other people who've modified their profiles. Like you're one of the first people to use the five tool head outside of Prusa. I'm one of the first five people in the world to use this printer that I destroyed. I couldn't exactly go on and be like, hey, how concerned do I need to be about this thing doing? I don't want to share exactly what happened. But um, so there's also an element of that, like you're doing this without support. Someone, uh, I, I had an issue where Customs opened one of the boxes on my printer a long time ago. It was an l- old review. And I think they just didn't put the manual back in because I couldn't find it. And some comment warrior was like, how dumb are you? Just go online and Google and look for the manual. I'm like, yeah, I tried that. This printer is under embargo. It's not even in the slicer. Like I have to get custom profiles to install it. Like I can't just go into the discord for any cubic and be like, Hey guys, there's going to be a new printer coming out. Can someone tell me uh, what the exact voltage is that I need to da-da-da-da-da. So 
there's also an element of that. That was just me redeeming myself. I'm sorry that you guys had to be had to listen to that, but there there is that, right? Like you're the first. Yeah. Person. You can't be expected, yeah. even with all your experience. Like this is a product that doesn't have millions and millions of user hours on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to touch on two things you said. Um, yeah. The first, and I'm sure you're you're highly aware of this. You can edit a blog post. It's very difficult to edit a video. Hundred um, percent. And you know. And you can you can post a video and then like the next day you're like oh my opinion changed like or it fixed itself or it broke or whatever and it's right. like unless you take the time to do a whole another update video yes. it's like you just leave people in the lurch and you leave them assuming that, you know that whatever you previously said is is true um, so that's and why Murphy's I thought law a- like the printer <laughs> never exhibits any problems until you hit publish right? yeah like. My GDX yeah. Max 3, almost perfect. I mentioned that I fried the, I upgraded the firmware and fried the EMMC, which is unforgivable on their part. But uh, printer printed perfectly. The day I hit publish, nozzle clogs every single day, nonstop. It's like Murphy's Law. And I put a lot of hours on that printer before. Yeah. Yeah. So there's well, that. it's interesting because some reviewers have the opposite experience, right? Like, um, yeah. like Uncle Jesse is the one one yeah. guy that comes to mind he's always like ah you know it doesn't work <laughs> you know it never he, works he has... for him and then after he hits publish all of a sudden he gets a replacement part or whatever everything's perfect so yeah it's exactly. it's totally true yeah so um that, that's why for me like doing kind of a, a content arc or a story arc and, and doing multiple videos and not just like moving yes. on um and i think you know you you did a community post yesterday which i thought was really insightful um you know asking your viewers like should you spend more time or should you, you know, do a video and then move on. Um, right. and yeah, I, I mean, you know, kudos to you for opening up in that regard. Thank and, you. Um, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people in the shadows that just read things, consume content and don't engage. Um, and, and I used to be one of those people before I was a content creator. I never commented on anything on YouTube. Um, and now you know so, how valuable yeah, those comments are. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, here I am reading all of that, those comments, that feedback from users. That, that you got and I'm benefiting from it, right? Because I don't need to ask my own audience. I'm like, hey, you know, I can I can put myself in Jonathan's shoes and I can see right. what his audience has to say and I can learn from it. Um, so kudos to the, the commenters. And I just figured out I could expand the, the chat on the side of this window to see what people are actually saying. I've had that hidden the entire time. Oh, wow. Uh, so thank you. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in and, and uh, commenting yeah. because... I wasn't a commenter. I was not an engaged viewer. I was just like a, you know, fly on the wall for a long time. It makes such Uh, a difference. And also I've actually been wanting to say something like this, but I didn't, I don't want to put out like a a seemingly emo post, but like, especially thank you to the commenters who keep it positive. Like there, there are people who are like, oh, you got this wrong. Or there are people who are like, hey, I've really enjoyed some of your videos, but like just that keeping it kind and you don't have to flatter right? But being like, hey, I don't mean to be mean about this, but you really need to fix da 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 Like just that adding because the the amount of hateful shit that people put in a YouTube comments box blows my mind. Like, and just the, the like depravity. I, I don't get that much of it. I don't want people to think, but like it's one out of a hundred comments that are just freaking mean. Like something happened to this person and they're taking it out on you kind of thing. Uh, anyway, so the people who, I didn't say that to complain. I said that just to the people who take the time to just write, Hey, great video, or, Hey, I learned something or, Hey, this really helped me. I've been struggling with this makes such a difference to counterbalance all the mean shit. (laughs) 
So thank you to the commenters, as you said, you know. Absolutely. Because it does take a hundred of those positive comments to make you feel better after the one really shitty one, right? (laughs) Absolutely. And yeah, it doesn't even need to be a comment on like the video or the production quality or anything like that. Um, Some people just focus on what you said and like the product itself or it's kind of tangential. Um, But that engagement is what keeps me coming back. It's like, you know, if nobody comments, nobody engages, um, I'm, uh, you know, less likely to continue doing it. And um, that is what keeps me motivated, right? It's like the people that are engaging, people are showing interest. Um, and that shows you that you're doing something valuable because otherwise you're totally. in an echo chamber. And so, I, I, I play on this now that we've gotten into just content creation. I play on this border between, you know, content creators will tell you like, hey man, just put your head down. Don't focus on the comments, you know, do your best work and, and just stay focused on, on what you're creating. But at the same time, on a human level, right, even if you have the perfect self-esteem, which I don't, on a human level, we do this because it creates value. If no one watched your videos, like someone said on Colin and Samir, it's like, would you still enjoy doing this if you made the whole video and then just didn't hit publish? Instead of hitting publish, you hit delete. And the answer is absolutely none. And that doesn't mean that you're doing it for validation, but it means, as you said, with designing 3D printed parts of your own and selling them, it's super important to us as humans to find meaning in the fact that our work helps someone and or gives them value. It doesn't have to help. You can entertain someone. You can lift their day. You can teach them something. But it's like, I think we only create this content. I mean, you have a successful business. You don't need this extra stress. I came from other businesses. I don't need this extra stress. Like I barely worked in my last business. We do this because it feels really good to contribute to this community and to create for people and to learn and be able to share what you're learning. Uh, you know, so like it's important to get that feedback that you're doing exactly that. It's important to feel like you're adding value to the conversation. It's important to know that you're getting more people into this hobby and they're getting joy out of it the way that you do. So that's my emotional appeal. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And just uh, just last comment on that point. It's definitely a, a mutually beneficial uh, relationship. Like the amount of uh, the amount I learn from other people totally by doing this is like incredible. Right. Like I learn a lot based on feedback and I'm you know, this is a, an opportunity for me to kind of, you know, I study a lot. And this is the analogy. You study a lot, but if you don't take the test, you don't know what you know. Um, you, you have so many preconceived notions, so many assumptions about, oh, you know, I'm right about this, I'm wrong about that, whatever. Um, but until you actually like focus, like take a concerted effort, for instance, like your, your video on air quality, like, you know, in, until you sit down and like study a topic, you don't know what you don't know. Um, totally. And, and now you do. Video, I felt at the, at the beginning, I felt like it was such a failure. I'll be honest with you. Like, it's like, okay, everything I thought was wrong. All the testing I did literally only revealed how little I knew and still how little I know. And then going into the comments, which everyone was super friendly and super nice. And I really appreciate my community, both on discord and on YouTube where people were uploading like, Hey man, you really got to look into this too. And and you need to be thinking about one guy who, who had been in charge of air quality and industrial manufacturing was like, yeah, you got to be thinking there's a difference in height. You want to get, uh, what, what, what did he say? Clean air in, junk out. Clean air in the bottom, junk out the top. 
like it actually matters. You want to move the junk up away from where the humans are breathing it and get it out the window because VOCs go up. So there's like so much to learn. I felt like such a failure. Like this is the least scientific video. Basically the bottom line was like, we all need to be thinking way more about air quality and open up the windows and be doing more about this. And people seem to have loved the video. So that was cool. That was really, really cool. And I want to do a follow-up and be more scientific about it. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, j just looping back for a minute. You talked sure. about the XL and talked about um, a printer in customs getting damaged or something. Um, I saw somebody shared a photo of their XL um, that was like absolutely destroyed. And it had like that like classic tape on it that said like open for customs inspection. Right. And like, I feel so bad for this guy. Like they, they must've taken years. out every piece. They must've taken every piece of packaging out and right. you know, go, it was shared on like the Prusa Excel user group or maybe, maybe Jonathan can put a link to it cause it's on Twitter. Um, literally decimated, like every printed part broken. And like the insult to injury is that the gummy bears were everywhere. So it's they like, I don't know. I don't, they must've opened it and like shook it out. And it was like, it was the saddest sight. This like Prusa XL completely decimated gummy bears in every like crevice of the printer. And it was like uh, two years, I mean, but, I, you know, the insurance will pay that, but still two freaking well, years to wait. I, I hope so. But, uh, yeah. 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 Well, Taylor, I feel like we could talk for hours and we should, but on another episode, I really enjoyed getting to know you. And, uh, and I, I don't think this is the last time we'll chat. I want to give you an opportunity to let everyone know, uh, I'll put links in the description, but for people listening on the audio, especially where can people check out your products? Where can people, uh, follow your channel, all that good stuff. And how can we support you also as someone who does for the community? For sure. So, um, and just to kind of open this up a little bit, um, I don't expect anybody in this audience to want to buy my products. Um, mm -hmm. and, and part of, part of why I wanted to start content creation is because I was catering to a market of people that didn't care about 3d printing. Yeah. Right. They just cared about getting a good product. Um, but I know so much about 3d printing. So now I'm able to cater to, I'm able to kind of, again, double end it and take what I've learned and I learn every day producing products and selling them. And I'm able to use that and give that back to the community of people that wouldn't be my customer otherwise. Um, and this is a relationship where it's not transactional. You know, you don't pay me to watch my content unless, you know, you right. support me on Patreon. Um, but I'm able to provide value. You provide value to me in return. And it, it's kind of uh, totally separate from my business um, besides the co-branding, which, you know, I, I don't know if that was the right move or not. I think it's, helped bolster my credibility in the early days, you know, manufacturers see my website, they send me an email, whatever. Um, but, but yeah, I've often thought whether I should have branded the channel differently than my business or not, but you can um, rebrand it. Tom did after 450,000 subscribers, you can rebrand. Yeah. It. Yeah. I saw that. Yeah. Made with layers. Um, yeah. So I've thought of that and maybe I'll consider doing that. But for now, I think, you know, I have all these t-shirts that <laughs> say YGK3D. So, um, that helps. I'm able to wear those in my videos, but, um, yeah, just thank you so much to everybody for watching, for commenting. Uh, totally. Like I said, I didn't, really, I didn't really see your comments until like the very end here. So um, I, I, there's probably questions that I've missed, uh, and I don't know if I can respond to those uh, after the fact. It's bubbling up the relevant ones, so I think you're fine. But you can go after the fact, and you can uh, you can see them in there. Cool, cool. Yeah, I don't know if I can reply to them directly, but if I can, I will. If I if I can't, uh, just email me. Um, my email is on my website, whatyk3d.com. 
Um, yeah, I'm a pretty open guy. If you have any questions that I didn't answer, I'd be happy to answer them. Um, if you do want to support me, go subscribe. That's kind of the, the only metric I have for uh, people yep. enjoying my content is subscriptions. So, um, and it's free. And uh, I'd like to see you over there. So yeah, thank you for having me on. This was awesome. My pleasure, man. Thanks for a great conversation. I'll take us out and then we can, uh, we can debrief after. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Infill Podcast. For show notes or links to anything mentioned in today's episode, visit thenextlayer.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to leave us a review wherever you're listening or click the like button to let us know and consider subscribing to The Next Layer on YouTube so you can tune in live and participate in the next conversation. We'll see you on The Next Layer.